Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 69. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. It's Christmas this week. We're giving you an early present. You're getting a show a day early. <laughs> You're getting Monoreal Radio. And I'm very excited to discuss this film. I was excited when it came to Disney+. Plus. This was a staple in our home. It was an immediate classic. It's the Muppet Christmas Carol. And I would imagine, just like my family, this had to be a staple in your family. You came from a Muppet family. That's not to imply that you came from a family of Muppets. It's just a, a family that was a fan of the Muppet franchise. Yeah, really, how dare you? No, Muppets were really big in our household, but surprisingly, it was more Mickey's Christmas Carol that was yeah, okay. the edition of Christmas Carol that we watched. The big Muppet one for me, though, we had one that was taped off the TV. Um, so it was like a half hour of Sesame Street. I think it was just a made-for-TV movie. It was one where... Um, you know, they, they did a whole thing with all the characters, but what comes to mind is I think Bert was buying a soap dish for Rubber Ducky and he had to sell his paperclip collection for it. And then Ernie was buying him a box for the paperclips and he sold Rubber Ducky to pay for it. It was like a gift to the Magi yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. thing. Um, so they, they did that and they ran it into Muppet Family Christmas where somehow all of them got like stuck in a snowstorm at Fozzie's house. And that was the big one for me. And since we taped it off the TV, I used to love to revisit that even as I got older because it had all the old commercials of all the toys from when we were kids. Gotcha. So we see, when we used to tape things off the TV, we would stop recording during the commercials. And at the time, we were so happy that we did it. But in retrospect, I wish we hadn't done that. Yes, yeah, seriously, this from, from Mr. Nostalgia himself? Wow. Yeah. Looking back on it, I wish that we would have... Uh, we would have just taped the commercials. But I'm, I'm surprised that this wasn't a standout for you. I mean, I've seen it. This was not my first viewing, but it just wasn't one. Like, we didn't have it. Um, so I guess we were only, like, catching it when it was on TV because a lot of this, you know, I, I didn't remember when we were watching it. And the funny thing, too, was that um, I wanted to get my Goodreads challenge up for the end of the year. So I've had forever this uh on audible tim curry reading a christmas carol so i decided to do the audiobook on my commute this week forgetting that we were going to review this so i've had like the voice of nigel thornberry on my commute and then i come home to gonzo and it, it's just been kind of a trippy experience doing both this week yeah there's a stark contrast there between gonzo and Tim Curry. No, but it is really funny to hear Tim Curry say gruel about a million times. Highly recommend if you're into audiobooks. You know, it's it as I'm I'm watching this and we're getting ready to prepare the show and I said, "Do I even need to give the plot to this movie?" Because everybody has seen some sort of iteration of this movie. I mean, I'd give, like to think so. Like, I'll give I'll give like the 1 minute once over of this movie because you're right when you said that you guys used to do the Mickey Christmas Carol, that was my first introduction into it. And actually, and we'll talk, we'll review it eventually, but that's actually a pretty dark movie. Um, For sure. You don't really understand that until you watch it as an adult. It's still very good, though. Um, and then this came out, and this sort of took its place. But my parents always had the Alistair Sim version, which was also really good. So it's interesting 
comparing those three for me, and now you've got the Mickey one, the Muppet one, and now this audiobook. I mean, I have to imagine that everybody is familiar with the story because they even did a more recent one with Jim Carrey, that animated one, but yes. it looks so real. Like, you want to talk about a dark one. That one's creepy just because of the way the computer animation looks. Um, but it's good. It's still really good. Um, but I have to imagine that everybody is at least familiar with the story. But for the purpose of our review, we'll give you a little plot. That way we can kind of circle back to certain things. Yeah, it's Christmas Eve in London and we are introduced to Ebenezer Scrooge. And that's the thing. Do you know it's... People have have taken the name and if it's been you're such a Scrooge. Scrooge McDuck. Exactly. Just to give you an idea of how influential this story is on society as a whole. I mean, they say it's the greatest story ever written. That you've literally turned the character's name into a description for somebody. It's true. <laughs> Same thing as don't be a Grinch. There is a word for it. It's a miser, but yeah. people prefer Scrooge. Scrooge. Well, it's Christmas Eve, and Scrooge, who is not in the Christmas spirit, is prepared to open up his business the next day. He works with accounting, and he works with money, and his employee, Bob Cratchit, convinces him to close on Christmas Day so that he can be at home with his family, and he says, be here, you know, just as early the next morning, Cratchit, um, because he doesn't understand why he should be closed. But Scrooge doesn't have anybody in his life. His closest friend was Jacob Marley, who was his business partner, who passed away. Um, in this case, it's a pair of Marley brothers uh, who were his partners and had since passed away. And he goes home on Christmas Eve, has a very lonesome dinner, and is visited by the ghost of the Marley brothers. And they tell him, you will be visited by three spirits tonight. Those spirits end up being the ghost of Christmas uh, past, present, and the Christmas uh, that has yet to come. And they're going to take you through this journey, and they're going to show you the error of your ways. Because the Marley brothers are shackled down with chains and boxes. They're the chains that they had acquired throughout their life and for all of their wrongdoings. And they say Scrooge is going to face the same hell. Basically is what it is. You're facing the same hell. So later on that evening, Scrooge is visited by the ghost of Christmas past who takes him back to when he was an adolescent and he was a young Scrooge. And they have the annual Christmas party at Fozzywigs, his former employer who owned a rubber duck company. That is not in the Dickens version of the film. Uh, th that, that was muppeted up a little bit. But for all intents and purposes, it's fun. We enjoy it. And we see that he meets Belle, and Belle becomes his fiance, and he neglects her. And eventually, his greed and his desire for more money and more money drives a wedge between him and Belle, and they separate. You then see the ghost of Christmas present come, takes him, and he sees his nephew Fred, who is holding a party where he is bad-mouthing his Uncle Scrooge, and Scrooge didn't know that Fred had felt this way about him. They go to Bob Cratchit's house. They see that they do live a very simple life. His son, Tiny Tim, is ill. He walks with a crutch. He's not doing well. And he is told by the ghost of Christmas present that there is a future Christmas where there is no more Tiny Tim. 
And so after the ghost of Christmas present leaves him, he is visited by the ghost of the Christmas yet to be who shows him that not only has Tiny Tim passed away by the following Christmas, but Ebenezer Scrooge as well has died alone. And Scrooge recognizes the error of his ways and says that he's going to change. Wakes up the next morning. It is still Christmas morning. He did not miss it. He gets his big Santa sack of gifts. He makes his charitable donations with back payments from what he owes. He goes to the Cratchit home. He gives them a lovely turkey. He brings all of the presents he encomp- you know, he, he really takes on this spirit of Christmas and he's going to live this way every day for the rest of his life. And as it turns out, that's exactly what he does. Tiny Tim lives. Ebenezer Scrooge becomes a second father to him. And for all intents and purposes, they live happily ever after. That's really the crash course here when it comes to A Christmas Carol. They don't, with the exception of Fozzie Wiggs and adding the two Marley brothers... And you just finished the the story. This is actually a fairly accurate telling of A Christmas Carol. They don't deviate too far off the path. No, other than those two things, um, and they left out, in the, in the Muppets version, they did leave out the storyline with um, Ebenezer Scrooge's sister passing away. That's why he does have, the nephew is in this film. Right. Um, but he is supposed to have more of a relationship with him. Right, because there's a throwaway line that the sister died, I think they said she died in childbirth. No, I'm thinking of another version of this movie. That's right, they 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 gloss it over completely here. Yeah, no, they don't mention that at all. And I, I have to imagine... I've watched quite a few Christmas carols in the last week. <laughs> no, and they do start to like jumble in your head. Um, because, the, you know, they do a different take on all of the adaptations, but I feel like... I mean, this is pretty close. Like you said, they didn't really deviate too much, but they did leave that out altogether. I have to imagine because this was, you know, panned for being really, really dark for a Muppet movie. So I'm guessing that it's because they didn't want to make it too, too sad. I guess. I mean, yes, it's a Muppet movie, but you're also doing a telling of A Christmas Carol. It has a very happy ending, but... It goes to an extraordinarily dark place to get you that happy ending. You know, this is one of those things where it gets panned for being too dark, but if it was too lighthearted, it would be panned for not being accurate. Right. And they do call it out because they they have one of the things that I like the most about this film is that they left a narrator in. So Gonzo plays Charles Dickens and he's got a sidekick of Rizzo the Rat. As Rizzo the Rat. Exactly. It's it's hysterical. So where they get the lightheartedness and where they're able to balance out how sad this is comes from the narrator because it's very, very tongue-in-cheek. Like, even Rizzo says at one point, is this suitable for children? And, you know, there's another point where they're like, no, this is this is too much. We're going to duck out. We'll see at the end of the movie. Right, and then Gonzo's response to that is, it's culture. It's fine. Exactly. Which was a great line, mind you. And I love, I love that they left that in because you get a lot of the original words from Dickens. So it's as if they're reading right from the book. And the book, you know, and I'm not just saying this because it's kind of in my head having listened to the audiobook. It's really beautifully written. I mean, it's not just the story that makes it one of the greatest stories of all time. It's it's because of the way that Dickens wrote it. It's 
just absolutely gorgeous. Um, so I, I like that they did that, especially maybe for people who haven't actually sat down to read the book. Yeah. Um, it was surprising, though, that they went with Gonzo and not Kermit because Kermit is always kind of that leading man. But this was also the first film that they did without Jim Henson. So I'm wondering if that's why they gave Kermit a smaller role because they had to recast the voice. Right. His son, Brian, directed it. The movie starts with In Memory of Jim Henson and Richard Hunt, who had also passed away. He was the voice of Scooter. And even more impactful, they played Waldorf and Statler. And they also had to be recast for this. Yeah. And I noticed that Scooter is noticeably missing from this film, which I didn't notice until mm. this viewing because I'm thinking, but you know, we'll get into characters and, and all that in just a few minutes. But there was a few spots where I was like, oh, why did they invent this character? This would have been a good place for Scooter. It wasn't until later on that I realized that he was obviously left out for a reason. But yes, I agree with you. I think Gonzo as Dickens is brilliant because... He is, as you said, reading off the page, you get the tongue-in-cheek, the lightheartedness from Rizzo because Rizzo is not playing anything other than himself. And I think that as the movie goes on and you really appreciate what's happening, you learn, you, you see that this is really a great way to expose children to the story of A Christmas Carol because if we know anything about the Muppets at all, it's about them being tongue-in-cheek, but they are also a learning device. A lot of children learn lessons from watching the Muppets. Absolutely. And what I really like about this one too, one of the things that I remember most from when I was a kid was that it's like, yeah, get me to the ghosts. I want to see the ghosts. Yeah. And I think, I mean, like I've always been into horror, so I think that that was maybe part of it. But I think also as a kid, that's what you're most entertained by. Um, so... And again, maybe it is because I'm listening to the audiobook. What I feel like really has gotten lost in other iterations of this story is, you know, we all know Scrooge is evil. But here, there's a really stark contrast between the rich and the poor. And I feel like you lose the poverty in a lot of retellings, especially when they're targeted towards kids. Yes. And that's why this story is so wildly popular because Dickens is writing about what was really happening at the time. And, you know, people couldn't really celebrate the holiday and they had absolutely nothing. And that's why, you know, obviously we know Scrooge is holding all the money, but it makes him that much worse because he can truly help these people and he chooses not to. And I feel like, especially because there's snow everywhere and it's really cold, there's even a moment where they show Bean like huddled in and wrapped in newspapers, which was really, really sad. I feel like you don't get that in a lot of other tellings of, of A Christmas Carol. Yeah, certainly in the Mickey Christmas Carol specifically, yes, it is a dark film. This goes to a darker place, but you're right. They were not afraid to show that difference because I think they I think they really wanted to make a serious movie here. Right. And they were just using the Muppets as a vehicle. And I think that a lot of that comes down to a lot of the choices that they made. Certainly really sticking to the original plot, as you pointed out before, reading at times line for line by the Dickens or from the Dickens book. They're able to accomplish that. 
Um, and I also think that in casting Michael Caine, they were able to accomplish this because Michael Caine was not in 1992 when this movie came out, the Michael Caine that he is today. He wasn't a sir yet. He also had kind of lost his star status. Believe it or not, this is the movie that put him back into contention for getting roles as a leading man, as an older gentleman. And from there, his career sort of took off again. But Michael Caine is a brilliant actor. He is classically trained. You know he grew up with this story. And you could see on his face the way that he emotes and the way that he... Everything is in his eyes. You know what I'm saying? Like, he brought so much to this character that it really is a very accurate telling. And I think that it's an underrated portrayal of Scrooge. And I think that it's easy for a lot of your casual audience to write it off because they see the Muppets and they go, oh, it's a movie for kids. And they move on. I love Michael Caine in everything that he's in, but, um, you know, I'm wondering if, like you said, because his career was kind of slowing down at this point, I'm wondering if he felt that taking a Muppet movie was beneath him, but he also made a conscious choice to play this like a Shakespeare and to keep it serious. That way the, the humor does come from the Muppets and it's not like he's playing it with a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I'm in on the joke, too. And I think that that really lent itself to the film. Something else that I found interesting, you talked before about the monumental gap between the classes in terms of money and status. Um, the fact that you have Bob Cratchit, but then the other bookmakers, um, they're all rats, and they're in very shabby clothes, and... All they want is more coal for the fire. You know, they just want to be in a place where they're somewhat comfortable. And even that, he feels no need to accommodate. And then they break into, this is the island in the sun. And I remember always laughing at that as a kid. It's still funny now. The entire film kind of has this Muppety way to it. But again, and, I, and it bears repeating, they do stay traditional they do stay true to the original story and i really think that it was so smart that they did it this way and that they were able to tell the story as it was meant to be told but have it be lighthearted just enough you know what i'm saying like there's enough there for a kid but an adult would appreciate it as well yeah especially too because one of Kermit's selling points for Scrooge to make it warmer is that, you know, he's like, we can barely perform the task. So we need more heat in here. And, you know, when when Scrooge denies it, like you said, the rats just kind of switch gears and it's like, all right, well, mind over matter. If we think we're warm, we'll be warm. Exactly. Um, I love how that does come full circle, though, at the end, because what they're asking for specifically is more coal for the stove. So Scrooge gives that to them as a gift. And I think that that was done purposely because it is, you know, total Muppet humor that you're now giving them coal for Christmas, which is usually associated with bad children. You know where this movie had a real opportunity to sort of really get um, flowery and over the top 
and very Muppety. Now we've created this word, Muppety. Was no, with, Jason Siegel did. Well, true. With Fred. They could have done that with Fred because he's very innocent and he could have been like one of these characters. Usually it's a child. We've joked about it privately that there's always that Christmas movie. You see it on the Hallmark Channel and there's a child usually between the age of, say, 8 and 12 years old that is like the living embodiment of the spirit of Christmas. Like Charlie was that in A Santa Claus and we reviewed that movie last year. Yeah, we've called them the all-knowing quip machines before, but now they're like the all-knowing Christmas spirit quip right. machines, and it's even worse. So they could have just as easily done this with Fred and really put it over the top, but they showed restraint. And that's why I like Fred so much in this film, because he doesn't go over the top. And again, sticking with keeping it traditional, in spite of the fact that part of Fred's story, as you pointed out before... Is very different. Right. We were talking earlier about how they wrote out Scrooge's sister entirely. So they still establish that he has an estranged relationship with his nephew. So I don't think that leaving the sister out of it really affected the story in any way. It just makes it less sad. And like you said, they could have really milked this character, but they didn't. You know what I found interesting as well? Right before Scrooge gets visited by... Jacob Marley, or at least by the Marley brothers, I should say. He sits in his nightcap and he's got his pajamas on to have his Christmas dinner. And this is a man that has more money than he knows what to do with. But he's frugal even with himself. Mm -hmm. Because what is his dinner? A block of cheese and a hunk of bread. That's all he's eating. So this guy doesn't even treat himself properly. He right. just sits on his stack of money. And you would think that, you know, that's what you're saving it for is to treat yourself to a nice Christmas. But again, I think that that is something that has gotten glossed over in all the retellings of this story is that he might have been sitting on his pile of money because he was fr afraid the bottom was going to drop out eventually. Because everyone else is so poor, he doesn't want to find himself in that situation. So it probably, you know, his wealth doesn't just come from him being... From from his job, it comes from him being very, very frugal. And if you circle it back around to DuckTales, because you have Scrooge McDuck, he has, what was it, his lucky dime? It yes. was the first dime he ever made. So that, it's a throwaway line from a cartoon from the late 80s where Scrooge has his lucky dime. It's the first dime he ever made, and he's still sitting on it. And that circles back around to the Scrooge that was written by Charles Dickens, which is very much an amazing thing to me, that even in that version of that character, they would stay true to the original story. And you're right, I do think it gets glossed over quite a bit. And after he eats this meal, he is visited by the Marley Brothers. Played by Waldorf and Statler. Which is absolutely perfect. Is it? I think it is. Because oh, Go ahead, sell me on this one. They're curmudgeons. They're crotchety old men. That's always been their M.O. There's nowhere else in this film that they fit in. Because Fezziwig, or in this case Fozziwig, he's totally juxtaposed against Scrooge because he's got the money, but he treats people properly. 
you needed to take these curmudgeons and put them in a role. The only role that fits them is is Jacob Marley. But you you just made two of them now. I agree with you there about the curmudgeon thing, but I absolutely hate that they took this much liberty with the story and they made them brothers and that they created a second one. As funny as it is that his name is Robert, I think that that is a nod to Bob Marley and especially because they wail a lot. I think that's kind of, it's supposed to be on the nose. Um, but it does deviate from the original far too much. Um, I would have maybe, I actually would have switched it. I would have made Waldorf and Statler the narrators because I think the curmudgeon thing might have worked where if they were doing you know, their their typical like dad jokes, they might have sympathized with Scrooge a little bit more and played that angle up um, and maybe made Gonzo Marley warning him about the vi- because I don't, I don't know. I don't I, I like Gonzo as the narrator because him and Rizzo are Rizzo is the perfect sidekick to him. So they really the humor comes through with that 100 percent. But again, you have to. Waldorf and Statler come as a pair, so I I think they could have flipped it and it would have been just as good. Um, I disagree. I don't think I'd be interested in watching an hour and twenty five minute film where Statler and Waldorf are the narrators. I I just feel like for Gonzo to have played Jacob Marley, could he have done it? Yes, they could have put it there. It would have been funny, but I think that it would have been too funny because it's Gonzo. It's like making Goofy. And they did do that. They did do that. That was goofy, yeah. But he's fall but he still falls down the stairs in that film. The chains are rattling the whole time. Yeah, yeah. And it's like really overdone. But for but that's a very much a children's version of this film when you look at the at the Mickey Christmas Carol. And I feel like because they were trying to do something tonally different here, I don't know that Gonzo works. But you want to talk about overdone, then they sing a song. I never want to see Waldorf and Statler sing. Right. We'll talk That's about... completely out of character. We will get to the songs later, but just from a story point, yeah, th- that comes completely out of left. They field. did have a um, a fun line here that I liked, where uh, they said, "Leave comedy to the bears." Yes, I love that because Scrooge said something about. Uh, how this will never happen to him with the chains, and they say leave the comedy to the bears, um, which I enjoyed. Um, and they sing their song. We'll get into the soundtrack again in just a few moments here. He's first visited by the ghost of Christmas past. Yikes. Okay, yeah. This thing haunts my dreams. I had forgotten about it completely. I didn't. <laughs> Thanks for the warning. Um... I understand why they didn't put Scooter in the film because Richard Hunt has passed away. The thing is, you can't make a Muppet movie without Kermit the Frog. Right. So you kind of have to keep him in there. To me, this is a this would have been a great part for Scooter. Instead, you invented this character that's incredibly off-putting and incredibly creepy 
And it's not that I don't like what happens when he goes and revisits the Christmas of yesteryear. It's just that I don't like that puppet. First of all, they're not puppets. They're Muppets. Let's get that right. Um, yeah, I I feel, you know, and not just with Waldorf and Statler, I feel like a lot of the Muppets were miscast in this. And this is the perfect example because why create something when you've got so many others to choose from? Especially why create something that is so creepy? Um, I read that the way that they, I, I mean, I will give it this. The face is what creeps me out. As far as the body, though, I like the flowy movement. They really made this thing look like a go. I, I think, well, in the story, in the actual Dickens, they they describe it as that it looks like a child and an elderly person at the same time. So the creepy does kind of write itself. But this thing looks like a child. Um and I read that they created the effect, the floating effect, by putting it in water, and they filmed it against a green screen. And it looks like they probably did it in slow motion, and that's how you get that like really wavy, flowy ghost body coming out of it. So it looks cool, except for the face. It's terrifying. Well, that's why I called it a puppet, because there are Muppets, and then there's this thing. It's so fair. different right, from fair. everything else that you have seen. Um, But, yeah totally a creep factor i i get it if they're if they were really trying to make it close to the story in creating a child that's also elderly what well, you did that kudos to you you accomplished it but it doesn't make it any more less uh uncomfortable to see another place that this deviates is she takes him you know to the past obviously and he goes and visits moments from his childhood um, they added the scene with the schoolmaster. That's not in the original, where Sam the Eagle plays his teacher. And there, Sam the Eagle could have been Jacob Marley. I was actually thinking that, too. That would have been a better choice. Mm. So that that is created for the film, but I guess... But that's where you kind of get frustrated, because it's like, well, yes, you, you have these IPs, you have these characters that you've written parts for, why not just use them in parts that already exist in the original story. Right. Off the top of my head, though, I don't know other than Scooter what you... You're not going to take Rolf. It, like, what What would you use to do the Ghost of Christmas Past? I, to me, it's kind of like Scooter or nothing. Yeah. No, because even know? I was thinking, too, uh, we, we didn't hit on this before. Bunsen and Beaker are the ones who ask for the charitable donation. Yes. But again... They come as a pair, and I feel like even if they had been Marley or the Ghost of Christmas Pass, you're gonna have Bunsen doing all the talking, and then me, 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 me. That's gonna that's way too comical. It's you're you're gonna ruin everything that you're trying to do. Right. I do like that Fozzie is Fozzie Wig, and that Fezzie Wig became Fozzie Wig. That writes itself. It's it writes perfect. itself. It's absolutely perfect. What I like about it, too, is that it reminds me so much of my Muppet Christmas movie that I was talking about before, where they all get stuck at Fozzie's house. And he, you know, they do have the throwaway line of um, he he is hosting this party with his mother. Um, So I love that they still incorporated that. And I love that you also get uh, Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem in there, too. Yeah. Because I was even thinking maybe Animal could have been 
Marley, but I, I think it would have been too much. I mean, it would have been really silly because then he would have just been it, he would have been like yelling at him, and it would have been scary. But yeah, it would have been way too over the top. So I'm I'm happy that they incorporated them regardless. And you do see Ralph playing the piano with them, right? But you had the music. You maybe could have used Ralph out elsewhere. I mean, listen, it fit in, and I think as we've pointed out up to this point, and it bears repeating, and if you're- It bears repeating, ah! uh, Yay. Waka Uh, waka. Yeah, sure. Um, They were trying to make a true retelling, a serious retelling of this film, so- where where you think maybe this character would work here, this character would work here, you just don't want it to become too silly, right? But and I that's think where they're as, kind of stuck trying to toe the line. As far as Fozziewig, though, they nailed it. Yeah, because Fezziwig was an eccentric, and he was over the top, and he was a very jolly person. So it was done really well here. And I have to say, as we move towards the present, oh, you know, before we do that, let's talk about the scene where Belle and uh, Scrooge basically end their engagement. Right, because that's the last part of the past before he goes home. He's not ready to move forward with the wedding, which was less than a year away. And she was very excited about it because he said, we don't have enough money. We can't afford a proper house. We can't afford this. We can't afford that. And this one is more to the point. And... Amazingly, I didn't think that there was a controversy over this, but apparently this scene in particular was very controversial because there is a song that was supposed to be sung here that got cut. And they did that, I think, because they said that it was going to upset too many children. Yeah, I mean, I've heard the song and it's interesting because they leave it in in the end credits. I believe Martina McBride sings it. Um, and it's it's called When Love Is Gone. And it's, you know, it's sad, but like it's no more sad than, you know, really any of the other things that have played out up to this point. You, you know, you're still showing the poverty. All right, fine. You know, we said they cut the Scrooge's sister storyline. So. There are some versions that still have this song in the film um, because they cut it out, I think, for the television version. And then they put it back in because so many people complained about it. Um, So they put it back in for like another VHS or a DVD release. Um, But you see where it comes out, though. Like there is a bad edit um, because she leaves him. You know, she sings the song and she leaves him and then they cut back to the narrators and like Gonzo looks shocked. So now when you cut back to Gonzo, it's like completely unmotivated. Right. Why is he so surprised by this? Exactly. Um, But I think, you know, they would have done better with the song because the point that she's trying to make is that he loves money more than her. And in the way that you just explained it, and I'm not faulting you for it because it's the way that it happens. It's just like, I don't want to wait anymore. She seems like she's a gold digger. And because she doesn't have her house and her big wedding yet, that she just leaves him. But what she really wants to say is that he used to care about her more than he cared about money. And this is where he turns and all he cares about is the money. Yeah, it's it's a big plot point here that some argue is missing. And see, it's in a way, it's kind of forgivable because, did I say this before? 
there's a hundred versions of this story that have been told. So you go in there and you already know what the story is. It's just that you want to see the Muppets version of this story. Right. So to me, it, it doesn't take away a ton, but you're still going to show Tiny Tim dying. So why is this the really sad thing that got cut out? Well, I guess because we know that Scrooge changes and that Tiny Tim is going to be okay. He never gets his fiance back. Right. He doesn't get the happy ending on the love story. Just, I guess, the same way, if that's the criteria for this film, you can't get your dead sister back, so it gets cut. Yeah. I love the next ghost. The ghost of Christmas present. Should have been Sweetums. Um, yes and no. I, I, as far as physical stature goes, it could have been Sweetums in terms of the look similar to Sweetums. But do you think that you could have watched this and had your heart filled with joy the way it is watching this ghost of Christmas present? Or would Sweetums have just made you laugh too much? You know, again, it's yes, there is a character that fits here, but does he really fit here? That's a fair point. And I think they also, in this case, created a new one to look like what Dickens wrote. Right, because this is a character that is very jovial. He's very jolly. He's He's, like Santa. Yeah. He's got an aura about him that you want to talk about some uh, about a character that is one of the living embodiments of Christmas, other than Tiny Tim. We all know it's Tiny Tim. Tiny Tim aside, really it is the ghost of Christmas present. Right, because this is what really starts to change Scrooge's mentality. Yeah. Where he starts like asking more questions and trying to... that he, he believes what is happening to him now. Yes. Where he didn't want to before. Right. The denial is gone, and now he's really starting to drink all of this in. And part of that is because of what happened in the last scene, where he's reminded of what happened between him and Belle. Right, and he's it facing it now, because he keeps telling the, gr- the ghost of Christmas past, don't show me anymore, I don't want to see this anymore, and now he's an active participant with present. Exactly. And what is he seeing? He's seeing that his nephew Fred, who is his only member of of his family remaining is making fun of him and calling him, you know, in essence, calling him a creature that nobody ever really wants to see. Right. But he's not a rat or a rodent or a snake. Mm-hmm. Um, he's something worse. He's his uncle Scrooge. And then he goes to the Cratchit home and it's Kermit and mix miss piggy. That, that totally makes sense. It's their little family. This is where it delivers on Kermit not being the narrator. Because you can't have, you know, if you're talking about a married couple, you can't not have Kermit and Miss Piggy. Exactly. And you also needed a character that you would feel bad about when they lose their child. And it's not that, I mean, anybody could have played that role and you'd feel bad for them because it's the loss of a child. But doesn't it hurt that much more when it's the child of Kermit and Piggy? It makes it, it that within itself carries enough weight where it puts the movie over the top, I think, at least. 
No, you're you're absolutely right on that. So it makes total sense. It has an awful lot of heart to it. And again, you have Tiny Tim. Tiny Tim is a character that we've seen a hundred times. It's a character that has been parodied a hundred times with God bless us, everyone. But they nailed it here. They absolutely nailed it here. Yeah, this is definitely the most heart-wrenching scene to me it's a little comical though because you always see piggy obsessed with all the glitz and the glam and she's like really roughing it now yes um but well she has a line at the end of the movie where she says that scrooge is badly dressed so it's (laughs) but so you still get that piggy you know what i'm saying it's yes it's that security blanket of Yes, she's playing this character, but this is also the character that we've grown to know and love over the course of many, many years. We see that scene, and then you get the ghost of Christmas yet to come, which is a ghost that aesthetically I absolutely love. I agree with you. Up until this point, it bummed me out that they weren't casting Muppets as these ghosts, but... This one really hits at home because it's faceless and it's so creepy. And again, this is where it's kind of shocking that this is geared towards children. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's geared towards children because of the franchise that it belongs to. But again, the Muppets, Jim Henson, that whole company, whether it be the Muppets, whether it be Sesame Street, they're they're trying to tell stories and engage children while also teaching them. So I'm not surprised that this is what they did. Right. I also wonder if they needed to tell the story this way. And I have no I have no knowledge of this. I'm just questioning it. Whether they needed to get a version of the story that is that close to get an actor like a Michael Caine to get somebody in there that would legitimize the film. Or the, just to get the rights to it. That's a really good point. Right. Don't get me wrong. I love Tim Curry. I'm sure he did a phenomenal job reading The Christmas Carol in the audiobook. Mm-hmm. We've seen Muppet Treasure Island. We've seen Home Alone 2. Could you We've have seen cast, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Could you have cast Tim Curry in this role? Yes. Would he have been as good as Michael Caine? I don't know. He's like a Muppet in himself. He he would have made it a little silly. That's what I'm saying. Because he is so over the top and because he is so eccentric, he could have knocked it out of the park and he could have been a great Scrooge. But because of who he's cast opposite of, I don't think it would have worked the same way. He wouldn't have been able to ground the film like Michael Caine. No. If you put him with live action actors, maybe. But not against You can't Kermit have a and... silly Scrooge in the Muppets. Absolutely not. So I'm not surprised that they went there. I'm kind of glad he stayed faceless because something that always stood out to me when watching the Mickey Christmas Carol is when the ghost of Christmas yet to come arrives and he's smoking that cigar and he pushes Scrooge into the grave and Scrooge gets dragged to hell and you see the fire and the brimstone. He pulls his hood off and it's Pete. Right. And I remember thinking to myself, now that whole scene is unsettling because you're watching 
Uncle Scrooge get dragged into a fiery grave. And anything that was scary about that to me, even as a child, is immediately washed away when it, oh, but that's Pete. Right. So it's just Pete. It's just the bully. No, I think and you needed to leave this character faceless. Right, because how else would you have achieved it here? Especially because he's tall. The thing that comes to mind is Muppet Man when they stand on the shoulders. Right. And that would have really sillied it up. The only thing, if we're talking about casting Muppets that I you might have been able to pull off, if this was Bunsen and Beaker. And you did kind of do the Muppet Man thing where Beaker's on top because Beaker doesn't talk. But stretch, big stretch, and I'm even willing to admit that. That's a big stretch. The scene where they go to the Cratchit house and Bob comes home and he is discussing the preparations of the burial for Tiny Tim is absolutely brutal. It's probably the saddest version of the tiny tim passing that we've ever seen there's not one movie and i've watched a lot of them whether it was the patrick stewart one or as i mentioned the mickey christmas or the alistair sim this one throw a dart at any version i and i've seen i saw roddy mcdowell play scrooge um when they used to do the christmas carol at at uh, the theater at madison square garden i saw hal linden do it i had christopher lloyd that's pretty incredible. Yeah. And I saw, and you know who I got once? I got Roger Daltrey. I saw Roger Daltrey. No kidding. Yeah. I saw that movie. I saw that one a few times because we used to alternate between that and the Rockettes. Mm. I'm telling you, there's not one scene that is as sad as this one. It's absolutely heartbreaking. Rudy's so invested in Kermit because it's Kermit. We've grown up with him and they just go straight for the jugular with this one. Yeah. And it's just the way that they describe everything. Oh, you would you'd be happy to see how green the grass is, and I picked him a plot at the top of the hill that overlooks the duck pond, and now Tim can always watch the ducks because he loved it. It's you know, and then you get the you get the the shot that we've seen a hundred times of the crutch and the hat against the chair by the fireplace, and it's vacant. And and by this point, that should be played out. But because of the way everything else has been done up to this point, it's just not. No, they they really drive it home in the scene. Well, they have to be very careful because, as I pointed out to you before, Tiny Tim has been parodied so many times where he's become a joke. He's become the butt end of a joke. Mm. Because you're dealing with the Muppets, there is a big margin for error here. And somehow, some way, they managed to avoid it. And I think that that's a real compliment to Brian Henson and to everybody that made this film work the way that it did. Yeah, especially because it was Brian Henson's first time directing, not just like standing in the shoes of his father. Even Michael Caine didn't know until about three quarters of the way through shooting. He didn't know that it was his first direct, uh, directorial attempt. And I'm sure that this had to be hard for him because you've just lost your father. Mm. Now you're taking over the family business and you have, and this is the movie that you're making. Yeah. Past, you, you present, the weight of the world on your shoulders. Yeah. An awful lot. And because of all of that, when Scrooge finally comes back around 
and when Michael Caine gets his redemption and they have this incredible celebration at the Cratchit home and they bring everybody in. Now I will say they bring the whole if there's one part of this movie that I think gets a little too bubblegum, it is the very end of the movie where they somehow squeeze every member of the cast including background characters into this tiny little like shotgun shack almost that the Cratchits live in. It's not possible that they all would have fit in there. I understand why they did it, but because the rest of the movie up to this point is so good, I've always forgiven it. No, and Scrooge is the one who invites him in. He brings the turkey over to the Cratchit home, and then he says, we were wondering if you'd like to join us for Christmas dinner, but he bought the party to them. Yeah, but... If that's so far the worst thing about this movie, and it's the very last thing that we see, fine. I also am surprised that it's Ebenezer Scrooge that delivers the line, God bless us, everyone. Yeah, that was kind of an interesting twist. Because Tiny Tim says, God bless us, and... It is then Scrooge that says, God bless us, everyone. But I wonder if they made that choice because the fact, I mean, the truth is, and I'm not saying that it's a better version of the original story. And it's, it's amazing that Tiny Tim has the ability to say that, considering everything that Tiny Tim has been through in his very short life. But this story is about the redemption of Ebenezer Scrooge. Right. And I would imagine that's why they gave Michael Caine the line. It's a better punctuation that he learned his lesson. Yes. It just ties everything up in a bow. Do you have anything else on the script here before we uh, move on to this extraordinarily underrated soundtrack? No, let's talk about the music. So, it's time to talk the music. Yes. The first song you hear is called Scrooge. It's what you see. It's one of the opening numbers. It's tongue-in-cheek, the way that the Muppets are tongue-in-cheek, and we know that they are tongue-in-cheek in totality, and they always have been and always will be. But it is a perfect introduction to Scrooge. And to the story. It's a great setup for both of them. The only thing that I sometimes feel like may have been more effective was if all of the people in the town were real. And again, this might go back to I would have seen the Muppets cast as I would have much preferred the the Muppets be cast as the ghosts. And for the Cratchits, absolutely. A, a thousand percent that works. Um, but I feel like it may have been even a more serious tone if all the townspeople were real. However, the songs don't translate the same way. Yeah. The next song you hear is One More Sleep Till Christmas, which is what um, Kermit and the Rats sing as they close up shop on Christmas Eve and they start heading out to go home. And this song to me needs to be on the radio more. Because you have all of these radio stations that are playing Christmas music for a month and a half leading up to Christmas. You've got five or six stations on Sirius XM that are just Christmas channels. And 
They play the same songs, different covers of them. This is one of two songs on this soundtrack that I think are immediate classics and need more airplay. This whole number is just Muppety perfection. You know, they leave the shop and on the walk home, they go watch the penguins on the eye. And I, I always love the penguins. They always make an appearance in the Muppets. They're always like falling and flopping around and whatever. Um, so I thought that was great. But th- this whole song, I mean, it's up there with Rainbow Connection, I think. I think you're right. Just the way that it, you know, it evokes that feeling out of you. Like it, it evokes that childish feeling, really, of how you're so excited for Christmas morning. Yes. And it's it's hopeful and yeah, it's just awesome. There's only one other move there's one other song that I think does that a little bit better. We'll get to it in a minute because first we have to talk about Marley and Marley. Which I think the song's pretty good. I do like how it gives backstory and that they accomplish the goal of keeping the running time of this film under 90 minutes, which is important when you're marketing to kids getting an awful lot in there but it is not my favorite song on the soundtrack i like how they use the chains um and i like how some of the chains and some of the cases and boxes that they're attached to are also muppets and they sing with them but the whole we're marley and marley it's because so many of the other songs here are so well done, this one just falls very flat for me. And it, and it has nothing to do with Statler and Waldorf singing it. I look past all of that. I just think that this is not the strongest tune. I don't know. I go back and forth because I don't like them singing ever. They're supposed to be the curmudgeons. They're not supposed to be happy and upbeat and tap dancing. Um, I think the song is catchy and the wailing doesn't, bother me because that's supposed to be the nod to Bob Marley and the Whalers. Um, But I think not only does this do a good job of exposition because, you know, they're delivering the warning of why they're there. There's also, you know, one of those hidden lessons in here. And it is, I don't want to use the word preaching because it doesn't preach, but it is a warning to people to keep the spirit of Christmas and remember what it's all about. And I think that's where it's aimed at the kids. So to have kind of a silly song like this and keep it light for the kids, especially because Scrooge is scared out of his mind at this point, I think there's a good balance here. Okay. But there should only be one of them. We're going to agree to disagree on that one. It feels like Christmas is a song that is sung by the Ghost of Christmas Present. It's another underappreciated classic. This is the song of all of them that probably stands out to me the most when I think about watching this film as a kid. This song needs to be on the radio. I was going to say, to me, this is your your radio hit. Absolutely. Uh, You can make the case for One More Sleep Till Christmas is only good on Christmas Eve, It's too associated with the Muppet Christmas Carol. You could drop this song any day of the week, any time that the radio stations start playing Christmas music. I bet a lot of people wouldn't know it came from this movie, and that would be just fine. I think that 
this song embodies the spirit of Christmas. I think this, you're right, that has, One More Sleep Till Christmas is the childhood innocence and excitement of waking up the next morning and running down the hallway to the Christmas tree and seeing the stack of gifts and waking your parents up at 6.15 in the morning when they've been up drinking champagne until 3 a.m. and they didn't finish wrapping gifts until 4.15 and list this was my family, this is how it worked. <laughs> um, but I'm sure most of them were all the same. Um, and, but, and then dad gets the camcorder and mom sips the coffee and she looks like the baby Yoda meme. But... <laughs> with a robe but but that's what christmas morning is but this is christmas in totality this is everything about christmas rolled into one and that's the the love and the innocence associated with more than just opening gifts because a lot of people excuse me forget christmas is not about presents no, and this song does a great job of reminding everyone, you know, it's talking about the feeling in the air and better to give than to receive. And it's such a great message. And you're absolutely right. Yeah, this should be on the radio right now. Bless Us All is the Tiny Tim song we did not know that we needed in our Seriously. lives. Seriously, It's beautifully written. The message is phenomenal. It has so much heart, and it makes his passing so much harder to swallow. This is probably, actually, I'm not going to say probably, this is the best scene in the movie. While it's not my favorite song, I think this is the best scene in this film. I would agree. That's really like the heart of the film here. And it's one, two three, four, five. It's like five songs in. Five or six, depending on what you believe and what got cut. And and, and what you consider to be a song. Yeah. Some, you know, there are some numbers that are 30 seconds long. It's like, I don't consider that to be a musical. No, we're talking about like musical numbers where the story stops and they just sing. I think Thankful Heart is the perfect finale to the 180 that Ebenezer, uh, Ebenezer Scrooge has pulled. No, and what's so impressive to me is the way that they wrote that song. I mean, it's like Dickens did it perfect. How do you build on that? But they did. It really does lend to the Scrooge character. It ties it up perfectly. Yeah. And the the last song that you hear is When Love Is Found... That song in the final scene, it's pure Muppets. When you think about the rainbow connections of the world and you think of all of the musical numbers that you've seen the Muppets perform over the course of their existence, this is that wholesome, loving, meaningful song. And it's not my favorite one here. And I don't think it's the best one, but it's the one I most associate with the Muppets. No, and it makes it all the more surprising that they cut When Love Is Gone, because now you've got these bookends. Right. Why? Why would you cut out the first part? This answers the call. Final synopsis, unless you've got anything else? Well, no, just that, you know, with that song, I was saying they they cut things earlier. They cut things that were too sad or that you don't... 
that don't come full circle. And I, you know, because he never gets his fiance back, that's probably why it got cut. But you're losing now. You did lose love, but now you found it in a different way because you, you know, you have this new family. Right. Which is interesting, too, that he does. I mean, he does patch things up with his nephew, but he gravitates more towards the Cratchits. Towards Tiny Tim specifically. Exactly. So final synopsis, would I have liked to see more Muppets cast in the traditional roles of A Christmas Carol and see them as the ghost? Yeah, absolutely. But this is still near perfect. I mean, the the story in itself is perfect, so you really can't pick that apart too much. But this is an amazing adaptation. And it's just a great Muppet movie because of the way that they use the Muppety storytelling devices. I think the sets are great. Yes. I thought that there's a little bit of CGI, but there's a lot of practical effects, obviously, because you're working with the Muppets. I thought the lighting was great. The costumes were really good. Oh, my God. They were excellent. Yeah. I think that this is one of the best versions of this story. I think this is one of the best Christmas Carol films I think it appeals to everyone, and if you've not seen it, I would implore you to go check this film out. Like we said, it's on Disney+. Plus. I mean, waste no time if you've never seen this before, but we're interested in knowing what you have to say about it. Is this a forgotten favorite of yours? Have you ever seen it before? Let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monorail Radio, or you can shoot us an email, monorailradio at gmail.com. News this week. Uh, Skywalker has risen. We got to see the movie. There is a monorail in a minute up. You can check it out on Twitter and on Instagram. Yes, and one of our, in the monorail in a minute highlight. Yes. Um, we don't spoil the movie. Um, we will not spoil the movie. We, we'll, we will eventually give it its proper review, but we're not going to do that now. Because apparently there are a lot of people that haven't seen the movie yet. And they're a little disappointed with the box office. It only made $370 million worldwide. Oh, boo-hoo. Uh-oh. But apparently, it made $176 million domestically. And when you compare that to The Force Awakens that made 220 and The Last Jedi that I think pulled in 210... Uh, I can see where it's still disappointing, but as one person pointed out, they're like, if this is bad news for Disney, that's great news for another studio. Another studio would kill to have 176 or $174 million opening weekend at the box office domestically. Um, well, that's that's the problem. And, and I don't know what Hollywood does not understand about these franchise films and these big blockbusters that they're doing is that you don't have any middle of the road movies anymore. So like you can't expect every movie to make a billion dollars at the box office. That's what they want now. I know that's why they're only doing these blockbuster films, but like they're not always going to work and you can't cry when they don't. I mean, think about it. You release this. It's the weekend before Christmas and Hanukkah. People needed that weekend to do last minute shopping some people went into work because they're taking time off for the holiday. Like, I mean, for the Star Wars purists, nothing is going to keep them from seeing this movie. And and that's probably where your numbers came from. But for the average filmgoer that wants to see the third story in the trilogy, for people that maybe 
grew up on the original trilogy, maybe it wasn't the top priority to run out and see this film. Not to mention now, the kids are going to be out of school for a week and a half. Yeah, you'll get the numbers back. You're going to get the numbers back. Relax. The same thing happened with Mary Poppins Returns. Week one was so-so. Saw, saw, you know, a jump in week two. They pointed out the same thing happened to The Greatest Showman. The one number that was really (laughs) jarring for some people was Cats at the Winter Garden Theater. (laughs) Which, if you're from New York, you know what I'm talking about, and it haunts your dreams, uh, because that commercial scared the daylights out of me. It's a great commercial. It's what made me want to go see cats. Cats. Because they're no. all they're all out nope. in the streets nope. and they're playing nope. with the kids. Mm-mm. Nope. Love cats. They were not playing with the kids. <laughs> they no. were reaching out for a, for a UFO. <laughs> In the play, but I'm talking about that that commercial that you're talking about. They were like outside the theater and interacting with people on the street. Well, there was that's so... what made me want to go see it. It was it was like going to Disney. Yeah, but there were so many versions of that commercial. Having grown up on Long Island and being within an arm's reach of the city, we see these commercials all the time. And that it's show... local advertising technically because, because that show. It is local advertising, and it ran for 17 years. It's the fourth longest-running show in Broadway history. We saw a lot of commercials for this, and every single one scared me. Um, Almost as much as Universal right now is scared with the box office numbers for Cats, um, which opened this week. And just to put it in perspective, it made $6.5 million domestically against a $100 million budget finished fourth at the box office and worldwide made two and a half roughly two and a half million dollars less in its first week than Frozen 2 made in its fifth week. Yeah, so Disney really has nothing to cry over. I don't understand why anybody would voluntarily open against Star Wars. And Universal's defense to this is, well, we're catering to families. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. What J- Star Wars has been has been going on for three, four generations. People have grown up with Star Wars, and now their parents raised them on it, and their grandparents before them. Th- this is generational, and it's owned by Disney. I don't know. I feel like Universal does this not just with the box office now, but in the parks. It's like every time Disney does something, Universal tries to copy it, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's cute. Yeah, well, guess what? They'll tell you that cats have nine lives. <laughs> not this one. Do you know the movie's not even done? This is appalling to me. The mo- So Tom Hooper directed this movie. And, and I kind of, I want to talk about this because we are a film review podcast, really is what we do. No, we don't really deviate from Disney, but this is just so egregious that it, people need to know about it. Tom Hooper, who directed Les Mis, he's won an Oscar, was literally working on this film the morning of its world premiere. And movie theaters have been contacted by Universal to say that they are getting another cut of the movie with the visual effects finished. So you released a film with visual effects that weren't done yet. Well, listen, we've all been there up against a deadline. And I'll be the first to admit it when you got to pull the all-nighter to get it done. I've had to do it a couple of times. 
I guarantee you Tom Hooper himself was not doing the visual effects. But you had to have these CGI suits with the CGI fur when you could have done, you know, part of what makes the musical cool is the the wardrobe and the makeup. Why you didn't do this practical is beyond me. But just like we had to do like a revelation with Les Mis, we had to do something crazy with cats. I don't know why I'm so excited to see something that I love so much be destroyed, but I actually can't wait to go see this movie. Yeah, I don't know why, because I was not excited for Ghostbusters Answer the Call, but you are uh, excited for this one. I said, though, the movie is... Because it's like a train wreck. I got to go. I got to go see it. It's like watching The Room. You can't look away. It's like watching The Room. But they said what's so frustrating is that the movie is not miscast at all. They said every actor in the film served a purpose and did a good job. They said exactly what you just said. Why didn't you just shoot the stage performance with these actors? Why did you have to do it like this? Right. They said he just kept going bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's not going to work. I wonder if that's going to see that second week jump because the kids are off from school. I imagine it doesn't. I'm thinking this movie is going to be on DVD by Valentine's Day. No, and especially because that that's what I truly can't wrap my head around, aside from the fact that they're destroying something that I love. How do you deliver this unfinished? And like, who's going to go see it? Like, you think glossing this over and saying, oh, look, we have a new cut of it is going to make this better? No, to me, that's just like, I, I can't even wrap my head around it. You didn't hit your deadline. You've known this was coming out for how long? Yeah. And if I mean, if I were a moviegoer and I had spent 15 bucks to go see this movie to find out that I didn't see the finished version. No, that's give it back. I'd, I'd want to come back and see it again. Most people won't. No, that's unacceptable. And that's like what I'm talking about is like we have to make these big blockbuster films. No, just just make a good movie. Well, let us know what you guys have to say. It's not totally Disney related, but did you see the movie? Cats. Are you scared? Am I I know I'm not the only person that was terrified of that that commercial and I'm still scared of it to this day. I've never seen Cats because I'm still creeped out by that commercial 30 years later. Am I the only one with the phobia? Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Monorail Radio. Please tell me I'm not the only one. One other bit of business we got to take care of before we break for the holidays here. We had a contest that we've been running for the last couple of weeks for a fantastic prize pack from Walt Disney World that consisted of park maps from each of the Disney parks, as well as two coasters from Oga's Cantina and a pin. A limited release. A limited release pin from Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. All you had to do to enter the contest was leave us a review on Facebook or on your podcast platform of choice. And the winner of our prize pack is Tayrim08. That's the username on iTunes. Tayrim08. Thank you very much for entering to win. Please send us an email with your shipping information at monorailradio at gmail.com, and we will be sure to get the prize pack out to you. For those of you who want to go visit Walt Disney World and go see Galaxy's Edge, or maybe you want to go see Galaxy's Edge on the West Coast as well, we have a resident expert 
that can help get you there. And you better hope that Cats is not the in-flight movie. (laughs) Yes, I am now booking your 2020 trip. So get in touch with me either directly through our social media at Monoreal Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or you can shoot me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. Thank you guys so much for joining us this week. Please spread the love. Share the podcast with your family and friends. If you have people you know who are big fans of the Muppets or love Christmas movies or just Disney movies in general, we would love to expand the audience and make sure you hit the subscribe button, like us, and that way you know when we drop a new episode and if we're running a contest, you can enter to win because we love giving these prize packs away. And we have a drawer here in the studio filled with prizes, so we already know that we're going to be running some new contests and new prizes in the weeks and months to come. And most importantly, before we sign off here, I just want to say happy holidays to everybody, whether that's a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, a Happy Kwanzaa. If you celebrate Festivus for the rest of us, enjoy your airing of the grievances. But thank you guys so much for another great year of Monoreal Radio. Yes, we are very much looking forward to many exciting things in 2020. But first, we will be back next week with our 2019 year in review. We'll talk quickly about all of the new films that came out this year, which will eventually get the full treatment as a full episode. Um, But have a wonderful and safe holiday, everyone. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.